Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, the 22nd of January. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m., this is Michael Reed on LMFM. State owned property is uh, to be used to accommodate refugees and asylum seekers in uh, the coming weeks. It's a change in approach that could result in the savings of millions of euro for the exchequer. It should provide people too with more appropriate accommodation than the hotels and B&Bs that are being currently used and perhaps people won't be as quick to take it upon themselves to burn the place down. Let's speak uh, this morning with Ain to leader and founder Patterson Bean, a TD for Meath West. And a very good morning to you, Patrick O'Bean. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. There's been a lot of criticism criticism of government immigration policies. Do you think, though, that uh, we might be starting to see the solution now and that finally uh, there's a, a chance to provide vulnerable people with the protection that they so badly need? I would have very little confidence in the government, unfortunately, and I, I wish it were different. Um, but I've been looking at the figures and studying them in relation to the government's provision of accommodation. And in 2022, in June 2022, the government promised that there would be 700 rapid bills accommodation uh, for asylum seekers. And yes, today, less than half of those are actually built. And in December 2022, um, I put in a parliamentary question to ask the minister how many buildings he had purchased. Um, for asylum seekers and, you know, where they're being used. And even today, the vast majority of the 20 buildings that the government bought in 2022 are still not repurposed for asylum seekers. And even 80, 85% of the people who actually um, applied to uh, provide a room for uh, the Ukrainians when they came initially, they never had their application activated ever. So this government has proved incredibly poor in terms of creating the types of of accommodation necessary to help uh, people who are asylum seekers. In the same way, they've proved incredibly poor at uh, the provision of housing uh, in this country. So, you know, the the government, for example, promised in 2022 53 million euros as a community dividend, money that they were meant to give to communities who were accepting asylum seekers to help them with you know, uh, difficulties in terms of, of transport, uh, health care, mm, um, housing, etc. Mm. And only about 2.9 million euros has been spent of that to date. So in the delivery of um, infrastructure, this government has been incredibly poor. And the asylum process is just one aspect of that. And as a result, we're seeing you know, unrest and, and anger mm. uh, around the country. Well, I suppose and that's the type of criticism I was talking about in my introduction this morning. Do you think that perhaps now we're beginning to see uh, the solutions uh, and that finally people will be provided with appropriate places for them to live? Well, all I'm saying is on the track record of the government, I think 
the track record isn't there. So if you're looking for me to forecast future government's behaviour on their past uh, actions, I would have very little confidence that we're actually going to turn a corner uh, in relation to this. And even, you know, uh, Simon Coveney said yesterday that this whole process is still to be discussed at Cabinet. Um, And also, you know, the government announced about a week and a half ago that they were going to provide more money for locations. And again, Simon Coveney said that this still hasn't gone through Cabinet. And the government are glacial when it comes to the delivery of public infrastructure. Uh, and that's really hurting people. It's Listen, in, mm-hmm. in terms of, of you know, the National Children's Hospital, Metro North, and the Middleton flood defences, all those really important pieces of infrastructure that we need, you know, the, the, the rail lines are County Meads, mm-hmm. all of them are happening at a snail's pace, at a real cost to society and to citizens. If in they're the, happening at all, I think you might add as well. Uh, sure. But, I mean, there's a, a logical uh, financial case to be made here. Uh, it seems uh, as though rent truly is dead money in terms of uh, providing accommodation to asylum seekers. And if we're paying, uh, let's say, a billion a year to hotels and B&Bs, uh, if the state acquires property and then uses it for that purpose, there has to be huge savings. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it's, it's incredible. Um, the idea that we would spend billions of euros on the uh, accommodation within the, the hospitality sector is incredible because two things happen. One, we don't gain any infrastructure for the state. Secondly, we're actually damaging the hospitality sector as well. <clears throat> and that's what's happening in, in many of these small provincial towns is that the hospitality sector is wiped out because the government are using these hotels and many downstream tourism businesses like cafes, like tour companies, mm. restaurants, etc. They're seeing their incomes collapse as a result of this particular strategy. So not alone is this dead money, as you mentioned yourself, that the, that the state doesn't gain anything in the long term, uh, infrastructurally, but it's also having a terrible effect uh, in relation to um, the, the, the tourism uh, industry in many counties in the country. Mm. Some counties such as Mayo have seen a fall in about 30 to 40 percent of tourists coming into the country because there isn't simply the accommodation um, to provide for that them. led so, to that appalling motion from the councillors in Mayo which is uh, to stop uh, engaging with uh, the Department of Integration uh, in terms of providing uh, accommodation in uh, the county yeah, undoubtedly I, I think, engage, unda- I think it's enga- Engagement is is important. Oh, and, I think and a, if there's a problem, more engagement would be more suitable than pulling the shutters down yeah. a, a couple of months before uh, the local and European elections. Undoubtedly, <laughs> what we saw in Mayo is the beginning of the race card being played in Irish politics, isn't it? Well, I think the, the, the problem here is that the, I suppose the frustration in Mayo has been that the minister has been refusing to engage with the, um, the community and with the county council. So I agree with you that engagement is absolutely key to resolve this issue. But it is amazing, isn't it, that the minister has not met with one of these uh, community campaign groups across the country at all over the last two years. That the minister, like, if I was the minister, what I would do, you know, I would be unhappy with what Mayo County Council has done. But the first thing I'd do is I'd go down to Mayo Mm. and I'd speak to the elected representatives of the people there to work out what is the issue. And yeah. this is the problem. Well, I think there's a question over uh, the fitness to hold uh, public office of any of the councillors in Mayo. Would you agree? Well, I think that the fitness to hold public office should be based on democracy. It should be based on the, on the basis of who people vote for. 
I think it gets into a dangerous well, spot. See, that's the problem, isn't it? Because we're talking about people who are playing the race card in the belief that uh, being racist will uh, result in votes for them. I honestly don't believe they're playing the race cards, uh, Michael, at all. Um, and this is the difficulty here, too. We have many, many communities across the country who have taken in successfully. Well, many, they're not stupid. They're not stu- they know that if you don't allow people to live in County Mayo or in some other county of the country, that there's only one place for them, and that's the streets of Dublin. Well, first of all, like Mayo has, is, has the second highest level of uh, people who have come in through the UK- Ukrainian programme and the second highest level of people who have come in through the uh, asylum-seeking programme. So Mayo has actually done probably better than 30 other counties in terms of providing a location for people to come into. Donegal is obviously the county who has accepted the most. Mm. Now, if you, and, and you, you mentioned engagement, and absolutely engagement is important. And if you do engage with, with the councillors there, you find that most of what they're talking about is the fact that <clears throat> many of the services in those local areas are hammered. So the doctor's services are hammered, the dentist services are hammered. But that doesn't justify putting people on the streets of Dublin. I think what, what you find is they have, they have passed that motion through frustration. Frustration with the minister that doesn't, they're public, to they're, they're, they're people who hold public office. That certainly doesn't. Frustration certainly does not justify putting people on the streets. But the solution to this is the solution is for the minister to engage with the council. Like, why is it... Like, the, the minister is employed by the people. Okay. But the, the minister's mi- job but is to represent the people, but he's refusing to meet and engage with the people. And that's actually... Michael, this is an important point, because the lack of consultation by the government with communities across the country has actually created a petri dish for rumour and um, for... for burning down buildings. Well... I, I would say anybody who, who, who tortures a building it should be absolutely jailed. It's a criminal offence and it's a very dangerous action because once arson is undertaken, you cannot control where that fire is going to go and there's a very good chance that a person could lose their life uh, as well as serious criminal property damage. But the solution to this, Michael, is not for the government to ignore the, the people. The government needs to listen to the people. There's been nothing solved in this country by a government or a, a political class ignoring the people. And, you know, the fact that Minister Roger Gorman is refusing to meet and engage with communities is part of this problem. Uh, and if the people say they're not welcome here, should the government put pe- other people on the streets? No, and, and, I, and I, in actual fact, the, the, the reason why there's 600 people on the streets at the moment currently is because of the lack of, of provision of accommodation. As we mentioned earlier, the, the fact that the government haven't been able to provide the the rapid build homes or, or, or the state buildings. But also, and this must be remembered as well, the actual application process for, for, um, for people coming into the country is incredibly poor and lax. The government, again, is not running that application process properly. So between 2018 and 2023, 5,500 people got a deportation order from the state, mm. and the government only enforced 15% of them. And when I asked Minister Helen McEntee, uh, where are the other people? Um, that got the deportation order, have they left the country? She said she didn't know whether they have left the country or not um, because she said that many of them may have left in a voluntary deportation. Mm, which, means, that- which means, in effect, and it has been explained to you, I think, many times over, that they weren't arrested and brought to the airport and put on a plane, that they left voluntarily. They were ordered no, to no. leave, and, and that is what happened. So, so I asked Minister McEntee this question. I said, 
can we confirm that they've left? And she said, no, we can't confirm that they have left. And I asked why, and she said, because we do not have any system at the airports or the ferry ports to confirm But you're only talking person... about very small numbers anyway. But you mentioned people sleeping on the street, the 600 people sleeping on the street. Yeah. And we know that at least 4,500 people um, did not, uh, yeah. that did not receive an enforced deportation in, in this country. Mm. Now, the second point I'll mention to you But the here, question is, why can't we accommodate the 600 people on the streets? And I don't think the answer is uh, deport them all, because there's very few of them. There were only 13,227 people who arrived in this country seeking international protection outside of Ukrainians last year. That figure of just 13,000 compared to 21,000 Irish people who left for Australia alone, many thousands, others going to America, England, across Europe and so on, about 70,000, 80,000 people leave this country uh, on an annual basis. So about, um, about uh, 60,000 people are leaving the country on an annual basis, but there are also about 60,000 people coming back into the country on an annual basis. So in terms of Irish people leaving um, on balance, the net figure is actually in, inward at the moment uh, as such. Now, just in, in relation to the accommodation crisis, it's not just the 600 people who are sleeping on the streets. There's also 5,000 people who are in direct provision who have had their application successfully accepted mm. but can't leave direct provision because there's nowhere there to go for them. And there's also uh, 13,500 Irish people who are in um, serious accommodation, uh, emergency accommodation at the moment. So what, all I'm suggesting is that we actually enforce the law. If you enforce the law, it means the system is far more efficient and it means those who need help get help and those who don't need help uh, don't get help. So, for, for example, mm. of the 13,500 people who applied for asylum last year, it's taking well over two years for 5,500 of those to have their, applica- their first decision on their application made. Now, many of them go into an appeal system, which can take up to 10 years. Um, there's actually one person waiting six years currently for their first application to be, uh, to decision to be made. So the fact that the government is running a system so long, it means that many people are in the system who are not actually uh, uh, asylum seekers at all, and the government has to provide asylum for those while the process is happening. And that figure is well over 600 people that are on the streets. So if the government it had an efficient, fast asylum process, there will be nobody on the streets at the moment. Okay. Nobody. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's Ain to leader and founder Patrick Tobin, a TD for Meath West. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to the concern that St. John of God Community Services will hand over responsibility for the uh, service uh, that they provide to some 8,000 uh, children to the HSE uh, on Thursday of this week. Rory Murakou, Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Meath is on uh, the line. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. This has to do with a debt of some €32 million Euro that uh, St John of God's uh, does not have and has been looking for in terms of funding. 
Yeah, look, you, but, but you hit the nail on, on the head, Michael. The fact is what we're talking about here is the services and absolutely necessary services that are offered to uh, 8,000 both children and adults. And obviously there's 3,000 staff who are also employed by St. John of God's. And, and we've been in this position before um, where they thought they were in a situation that wasn't sustainable and they threatened that they would hand the services back to the HSE. Now, I, I think we all understand all stakeholders involved and, and ourselves as observers um, that like the HSE would not be fit to literally take on that sort of responsibility and um, luckily enough at that point um, because that happened I think in September 2020 and it was a 12 months notice um, that St John of God's give at that stage and then the Secretary General um, of the Department of Health he intervened and there was a sustainability impact assessment put in place to deliver funding right so the the situation was averted october 23 uh, this sia process was complete and there were uh, priority uh, recommendations and St. John of God's Community Services and those that work within it say that there was no added funding and that they couldn't see that any of these recommendations were being uh, enacted. So they're back in a circumstance again of uh, threatening to hand over the responsibility um, for some, mm. as, a, as I say, some of those in our community that most, most uh, require supports uh, to the HSE. This is obviously very worrying for some of those individuals, um, but also very worrying for all of uh, all of their families. And look, if we talk in the what the term St. John of God Community Services Northeast, we're talking about um, 400 people. Um, I've met a number of them. If I consider some of the people who are uh, in the residential uh, service in in drum car you're talking about people with huge huge needs mm-hmm. look this isn't fair in any way shape or form but what what, what does it mean it. what does it mean for those people if by thursday uh, the government doesn't make 32.5 million euro available in additional funding to john of god's what will it mean for the 8000 adults and children uh, on friday well, well, on Friday, because I, I don't want to over-frighten people, it mm. would only be the start of a process. But we're back into the exact same situation that we had, um, you know what I mean, uh, just over three years ago. And we're back in a case where... But would it mean God, services would be withdrawn? It wouldn't mean they would be withdrawn quite yet. But it, 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 when I'm saying cliff edge, it's that we're back in the same set of circumstances. Mm. It's the fact that they would start the process for handing responsibility back for the HSE. The HSE is not able to take on this. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm here probably no matter what consideration you give. That's the reason, like I, I brought this up, I have written to Anne Rabbit, I have spoken to uh, the Minister for Health and I understand there have been changes in relation to disability services, but it still relates specifically to the HSE. Um, now, what he had said is they had to provide, time had to be provided in relation to ensuring that, you know, the week they could come to some sort of accommodation. Now, we're talking about this Thursday. To me, that would state there isn't an awful lot of time. Uh, the disability matters 
Shoulders Committee was meeting mm. uh, last week, Bernard O'Regan, who's head of disability services. They were dealing with uh, inclusive communities. Well, I said if ever there was uh, something that needed to be put in place or a disaster that needed to be averted in relation to inclusive uh, communities, it was this particular issue. So I brought it up to him. Yeah. Now, he spoke about... Uh, uh, he well, I, I suppose he spoke about their engagement uh, all the time across the entire sector, how they were looking for reforms and whatever. But I suppose the big answer that he said is the HSC, and that was on Wednesday. We're meeting that day. We're meeting the next day in relation to coming forward with mm. some sort of solutions. So I put it to him: Will there be a solution in relation to this set of circumstances? He said there would be. He wasn't entirely sure uh, what it would look like, but it would have to happen very fast. And we can't constantly have well, this. Well, by Thursday. By Thursday, I mean, you mentioned 3,000 staff uh, and the John and Gods are are saying that they have to pull out of providing services if 32.5 million euro isn't made available to them in additional funding by Thursday. Uh, So who will the staff work for? These 3,000 employees, will they continue to be employees on Friday and who will their employers be? Well, I suppose the big thing, we don't know what the timeline is. What they said is uh, that the St. John of God Community Services said if this wasn't sorted before their their board meeting on Thursday, uh, that they would recommend commencing the process of transfer of responsibility. You know, um, the HS, so so look here, Mm. they're saying that they need unequivocal confirmation of the funding required to both address the deficits and maintain the financial and operational sustainability services yeah, provide, you know, and they want that prior to that. What exactly their timeline in relation to transfer of services would be, I I don't exactly know. Like, in fairness, Mm. you're dealing with an organisation that has you know, looked after these people for a considerable amount of time, so I do, do not foresee that they're literally, you know, handing all the keys over to the HSE the next day but the fact is the HSE we're dealing with what is on some level like if we remember when we talked about the banking crisis and people talked about banks being too big to fail we're talking about a service provided to those with disabilities you know 8,000 it's Mm. far too big to fail but this is an absolute disgrace and sometimes you don't even get that angry because you're that used to dealing with these sort of circumstances so you run after officials in the HSE you run after ministers and you just hope as I say, that this is too big to fail and that there will be a huge lobby from parents and from other people and from advocates. Of course, but what about the deficit? Uh, Why uh, have uh, they run into so much debt? Well, they say that you're dealing with a considerable amount of historic debt. They would also say at this point in time that it isn't taken into account what their operational costs are so that they are constantly working in debt and an element of robbing Peter to pay Paul. And you know what I mean? I've had Mm. multiple meetings. I'm sure many other elected reps have um, in relation to uh, St. John of God's uh, Community Services Northeast. And that has always been what they have said. So that Uh, means that if a solution is to be found, they have to get the 32 and a half million euro plus they have to get an increase in annual funding do they not 
Well, they, yeah, they're well. That that is that is what they're saying now. Like obviously, on some level, that's that's a negotiation. I'm I'm not going to state exactly what needs to happen. What I do need to know what needs to happen is that there is a document in play that there has to be interaction between the HSE. I you know what I mean. That yeah. I I, mm. I would like to think there would be engagement from government on on some level, and we just ensure that this gets sorted and that there is a long term plan in relation to. And and Bernard O'Regan did say that. He said, we need this to be sustainable. I, I think he used the term, we can't be lurching from crisis to crisis. Well, unfortunately, in this state, in the health service, in mm. disability services, we constantly are in these set of circumstances. It's not good enough. It is not fair on uh, on the citizens that need these services. And it's certainly not fair on families and, and a huge amount of these families that do an awful lot of the heavy lifting for us anyway. Okay. You know, as I say, this is a mix up. This is a mix between residential services uh, and, and also of those day services look we all know the great work that's done if we're talking about Venegas or the, the Hilltop Centre or, or, or many other mm-hmm. places and, and a considerable amount of these are in Louth um, I think there's a small amount in both Monaghan and Meath as well okay, but the clock um, is ticking look, here, yeah. Yeah. oh no the clock yeah. is ticking and, yeah. and like mm-hmm. first uh, for Stephen Donnelly to say uh, we have to give them time, well, unfortunately, there's not an awful lot of time here. So we'd need to make sure that those meetings that Bernard O'Regan is talking about and whatever mm. plan the HSE has, that they would actually go. And the last time I spoke, um, as I say, just uh, at the end of the week to um, the person I, I'd been dealing with in um, in St. John of God Community Services locally said they were not aware that there had actually been you know, uh, a sufficient amount of engagement at that stage from the Okay. Well, so all of that needs to happen. Three days uh, to find a solution exactly. as things stand. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Meath, Rory O'Murakoud. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, two referendums will be required on the 8th of March uh, to amend uh, Article 41 of uh, the Constitution. And Family Carers Ireland is saying yes and yes to both proposals. Let's hear why Catherine Cox, Head of Communications and Policy with Family Carers Ireland, joins us now. Good morning, Catherine, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us with less than two months uh, out from uh, this referendum. Uh, and I think we'll start to hear from the government by way of a public information campaign uh, that will begin on Wednesday. Uh, but maybe you'd talk us through uh, what is being proposed here and why your organisation has decided to vote in favour of the proposals. I will. Thanks, uh, Michael, for having me. So, yes, um, Family Cares are under calling for yes, yes. So, on the 8th of March, people will vote on a referendum that, first of all, will delete Article 41.2 of the Constitution and remove what we believe is outdated text on the role of women in the home and insert a new Article 42B, which is about recognising family carers. Um, And for us, as it stands, there is no mention of family carers in our constitution. They do not get recognition. Um, And as we know, their roles are not valued the way they should be in our society. So for us, this amendment will bring recognition to that immense value of the care and support that family carers give loved ones in their own homes. So that's the first thing it will give sure. constitution recognition uh, for Ireland's 500,000 family carers. Okay, that's... You're going, 
That's that's the first uh, change. Uh, there's uh, an amendment then to Article 411, uh, 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 and that will see um, the inclusion of words uh, about the family and whether it's founded mm-hmm. on marriage or on other durable relationships. Already, that word durable is uh, proving to be contentious, but not with family carers. It, no, I tell you, for us, the, the family piece is about broadening the definition of the family. So they, it will still protect the marital family, but it will also protect other families, um, such as those unmarried, um, also maybe single mothers um, and other groups in society as well. So for mm. us, this is really about um, broadening that definition of the family, but most importantly, putting in there that recognition. And it's not just about putting in recognition for family carers. Mm. It also will place an onus on the government to support family carers in their roles. And it will give us a very strong platform to lobby and challenge government if they are not supporting family carers the way they should be. So that's why mm. we feel this is really a historic moment for family carers. Okay. Yeah. And, and whilst Manny argued the wording could be stronger and we were one of those groups yeah. who looked for stronger wording, we are where we are and we feel that by a, getting a yes, yes on the 8th of March, it will give us that opportunity and I said platform mm. um, to lobby for better change. Okay, and we'll hear much more, I'm sure, uh, about uh, that amendment to the definition of family and indeed uh, this word troubles that we've been hearing of in the last couple of weeks but I take it that as far as you're concerned uh, people's business is their own business uh, but you're happy to see uh, care amongst family members or um, uh, to to, to one another uh, 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 by the reason of the bond that exists exists among them as this wording uh, says being recognised in the constitution but there is particular concern over how the state shall strive to support such a provision because if the state is striving to do that it doesn't put an onus on the state Yeah and I mean we we did argue this uh, and we spoke with this with the Minister um, and I looked up the definition of strive and it actually um, says to fight vigorously to make something happen Um, and you know for for 20 years more we as an organisation have been fighting vigorously to support family carers and we've lobbied and continue to do so. So we will absolutely push back on government and say you have promised to fight vigorously to support family carers and resource them to do their job safely Um, and so you need to now um, make good on that promise. So it it Mm. does give us, you know, that platform and it's not, it's not perfect. Carers' lives won't change overnight. On the 9th of March, suddenly, they, you know, their lives won't change. But this does give us that foundation to lobby and to continue to lobby and fight um, for better supports and services and recognition. So many family carers have told us for so many years they feel completely invisible. They feel undervalued, unsupported. This will make them visible in our constitution um, and will will push, um, and I suppose, you know, really, really push government to now recognise and support them. And that for us is really, really important. And that's why we're saying we're calling for a yes vote. And you're talking about half a million people when you say we, uh, because uh, that's uh, the number of carers uh, or thereabouts in the country that you represent. But that word strive has been uh, criticised because it's diluted from the original wording of shall endeavour, which... uh, 
I think some critics would believe would have placed more of an onus to recognise the work of carers where this now is being seen by some at least as a symbolic gesture. Well, it's, yeah, and I mean, I've heard that argument, but if you look up Strive and you look up Endeavour, they both mean almost the exact same thing in our dictionary. What would have been the, the perfect situation is if neither of those words were used and if it said, shall support carers. Um, but so, or Strive or Endeavour, very little, very little difference between them. And in fact, Strive is meant to be a more positive forward action. So I would argue that Strive is stronger than Endeavour, but possibly not as strong as if neither of those were included. But as I said, we are where we are today. And for us, it's really important that people get out there and vote, Um, you know, because there is a lack of information up to now. And then there's some misinformation going around as well. But for us, for anybody, family cares, as you said, there's 500,000 in this country. Um, By 2030, one in five of us will be a family carer. And at some point in our life, we'd either provide care or require care. So this is a whole of society issue. And by placing recognition in our constitution of the work that family carers do, that's there almost forever. Whereas if this was in a programme for government, it could be gone in a year or two. By putting it in our constitution, it's there. um, And we can use that. To, to lobby and push for better support for family carers in the future. Okay, well, it's the first conversation we've had uh, on uh, the merits of what's being proposed when we go to vote on uh, the 8th of March. Thanks very much indeed for having that conversation with us, Catherine. Uh, we'll be hearing Thanks, from Michael. somebody who's proposing a, a no vote uh, in uh, the referendums after the headlines uh, this morning. But many thanks, uh, as I say, to Catherine Cox, Head of Communications and Policy with Family Carers Ireland. Now, to some of the messages coming to us uh, this morning. Uh, somebody saying, can you get that lady to define uh, a family carer? Uh, well, I think that's a, a definition that is open to many, but there's certainly a legal definition of, of it uh, in terms of qualifying for the benefits that go along with it. But I think anybody who cares for another person, uh, whether a family per, per, uh, member or not, uh, would be a carer. Deirdre and Kells uh, says it'll be a total disaster if uh, they close uh, John of God. Something needs to be done urgently. The government can't allow this to happen. Thanks to to Dara, a mother of two and a a voter who has texted us uh, this morning following on from Friday's programme. And she says, in fairness, on Friday, Damien O'Farrell, who was with us, gave uh, a lot of information and detail as to why he believes the chief executive of Louth County Council, Joan Martin, should resign. Dara says, I I was surprised that there was no mention of uh, the CE's response from Louth County Council on LMFM News this morning. I I, I was listening out for it, uh, and I, I thought that was interesting, very interesting indeed, she says. Uh, why would that be the case? Uh, it, 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 would it not be typical, uh, if I, if you don't mind me interpreting what you said, Dara, would it not be typical uh, of a body like a, a local authority to respond to something like that? Uh, she says it's an important issue of public interest and keep up the good work, LMFM. Well, thank you indeed, uh, Dara, for that. Uh, let's see, I can get one more text uh, to you before we go to the headlines. Paddy and Dermot Fecken, uh, very 
uh, concerned about health and safety regulations uh, with the construction of a, a new mast in Termin Fecony. He says the site is completely exposed. There's grated rails that have no lock and they've not been locked in 30 years. There's at least 100 kids passing the site every day on their way to school and any one of those children can enter the unfinished site. Uh, although there are warning signs at the base of the mast, there's not one sign at the entrance. Uh, and he says he was on to the council a couple of weeks ago, asks if we can get on to the Health and Safety Authority uh, and uh, Oh, he was told to go under the health and, and he did that uh, with a, a, an email. Uh, and he says uh, he's very concerned. He believes that the site is dangerous. Thank you indeed, Paddy. Uh, we'll put a, a call into the Health and Safety Authority ourselves uh, in support of your concerns. Now, if you want to make a comment on our programme, as always, we'd love to hear from you. 0419832000, the phone number, text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Family carers gave us some of uh, the reasons they believe people should vote yes and yes on the 8th of March in the upcoming referendums. Let's speak now to Independent Senator Jared Crockwell, who is saying that he believes you should vote no and no. A very good morning, Senator Crockwell. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. You believe this is too rushed, do you? I do, Michael, yes. Um, look, as, uh, as, as a bill passes through the Oireachtas, uh, it's initiated in one house, either the Doyle or the Shannon. It passes through four stages, and uh, then it's sent to the second house to pass through four stages. Now, it turned out the bill passed through the Doyle, uh, and there was no vote taken on it. And then we were informed in the Senate that the bill was coming in unusually today, Monday, and it would uh, pass through the Senate Monday and Tuesday. No amendments will be accepted. Uh, Therefore, the process or the debate is just a joke. And um, if we start to undermine the democratic process, uh, where do we stop? And this is an extremely serious amendment. It amends our constitution and everything to do with the way we live. Right. Uh, So the Shannon is actually sitting today. That's the first time since Christmas, is it? Yes, indeed. It is indeed. And we were here last week. Could have sat last week if they wanted to. Okay. Um, But have you got a problem with what's being proposed? The problem I have is that sitting in front of me right now, I have a number of amendments proposed by uh, Senator Michael McDool, Senator Ronan Mullen, uh, Senator Alice Mary Higgins and the Labour Party. And all of them, to me, uh, would improve the... um, uh, uh, wording of the constitutional amendment, uh, but what's the point when we've been told they're not going to be listened to? It wouldn't matter uh, a damn whether they were good or bad. Mm. Uh, one of my colleagues uh, from the Green Party said to me, oh, if a good amendment comes forward, the minister will, of course, take the amendment. But, uh, I mean, we know that the advertising campaign has already been uh, commissioned to start at 7 o'clock on Wednesday morning. Okay. So no amendment will be taken. Right. Uh, and uh, would you uh, agree with Michael McDool, uh, Senator Michael McDool, a former Attorney General, that there are concerns about 
what durable relations mean uh, because uh, he, he's been suggesting that could be extended to polygamous relationships. Uh, troubles, I, I think, was the word he, he used. Uh, do you share those concerns? Absolutely, yes. And uh, I mean, one of the amendments Michael has put forward is on the issue of a durable relationship where he extends the wording where we're founded on marriage or in on another durable relationship between two persons as may be prescribed by law. So he cleans up that part of the uh, uh, constitutional amendment. OK, but. Uh, polygamous relationships are illegal in this country uh, and the government is saying that because uh, of that uh, that it, it would not define polygamous relationships uh, as family. Uh, well, that's okay until such a time as somebody who's living in this country and is engaged in a polygamous relationship uh, with his other partner or partners in another country when it comes to uh, solving the problems of um, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, a will, for example, mm. entitlement to uh, assets, uh, where does that leave us? We don't know. So, I mean, McDool is very, very clear that it needs to be between two persons as may be prescribed by law. And I think that that is a very reasonable amendment. Okay, uh, because uh, that would have been problematic going back years uh, for members of the LGBTQ community. Uh, There's concern that this referendum uh, or or this particular section of uh, the amendments to Article 41 uh, will result uh, will result in a a conversation, a debate on gender and gender identity. Uh, Is that what you foresee? That has been suggested to me, and unfortunately, when we get go down that road, Michael, uh, you will find that 50% of the country want to swing one way on it, and 50% of the country are totally opposed to it. It's an extremely difficult question, and the, um, I suppose, the um, uh, gender recognition bill uh, was flawed in in the way it went through. And uh, that's something that will have to be revisited by a government at some stage in the future. Okay, but you would also agree that what uh, we uh, the the special mention of women in the constitution that exists uh, is archaic, would you? Uh, yeah, yeah, look, I mean, there's a very interesting article written again by Michael McDowell, McDowell in the Irish Times where he says if it's not broken, don't fix it. And yes, I agree the, the uh, wording in the current constitution about mothers in the home is a little ar- archaic. But I mean, we don't, we don't have to write off the entire uh, section in the constitution to amend it to fix that. It has been accepted for years. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 
years and years and years for as long as I can remember that that uh, really doesn't impact any woman's ability to do anything she wants. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't see it as a... In fact, nobody has ever come to me and said we must change the Constitution. So I, I, I don't believe that that's a reason in itself to change the Constitution. OK, well, I've had plenty of people come to me over the years saying, why is that uh, archaic provision in uh, the Constitution? In particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be uh, achieved. Uh, it is sexist. Uh, beyond description, really, isn't it? Well, it's another one of these things, you know. It was lovely to put that in the Constitution back in 1937. But yeah. actually, what did, we, what did we ever do for women in the home? You know, how many impoverished families, uh, because of the, if you go back to the marriage ban that used to be in place, uh, how many impoverished families were looked after by this state? Mm. None. And what we're doing now is playing the same game. You well, know, well, where that, we're talking about... That, sorry, Michael. I'm yes. sorry, that, that, that was Article 41, uh, 2, 1, uh, 2, 2 probably relates to the criticism that you're making, which is that the state there shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. Uh, no woman has been able to stay at home and say that the state should support her financially to carry out what the Constitution says is her duties in the home. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, we're, we're, we're having an amendment to the Constitution on carers as well. Tell me what carers in this country are looked after under legislation or anything else. Carers in this country have been thrown to the dogs for years. Uh, so putting things in the Constitution, unless they are obliged to fulfil those things, uh, to my mind, is just uh, window dressing. Uh, I don't see an urgency in putting through this amendment. They could have brought through this uh, referendum bring the uh, European elections. They could have given it plenty of time to go through both houses. I accept it has been uh, through the committee system, but they should have given it time to go through both houses and allow for reasonable amendments to be debated. OK, you may say it's window dressing, but Family Carers Ireland say it's a really significant recognition of the importance of the work that they carry out and that finally the state it, it has come to a point where it, it's recognising that and that's why they welcome it and will be voting yes. Yes, and I, I fully understand Family Carers Ireland, and uh, I would support anything Family Carers Ireland would say. But I would ask them, are they prepared then to make government stand up and deliver on, care, uh, on, on the welfare of carers uh, if this is put into the Constitution? All right. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for having the discussion with us on the programme this morning. I'm sure we'll be hearing a, a lot more before the 8th of March, as you've been hearing from Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell there. The government information campaign is uh, to begin on Wednesday and at that stage I take it that we'll be into full campaigning and indeed all of the arguing that will go with this amendment or proposed change to the Irish Constitution, which we will be voting on uh, in two polls, two separate votes on the 8th of March 
Uh, and as I say, I think we'll have interesting discussion, if nothing else, between now and then, which you're welcome to participate in now. Our phone number is 0419832000 if you want to talk about the referendums or something else that you've been hearing this morning or if uh, there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us on the programme, a bit like Paddy and Terman Feckin there earlier on uh, and his concerns about that mass being uh, constructed. Uh, we'll, we'll follow that up for you, Paddy. Uh, but if there is a, an issue that you'd like to raise with us, uh, or, or indeed uh, to comment, as I say, on something that you've been hearing, text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658 is our number. That's 086 1800 658. And you can always email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Well, the €12 Euro extra a week uh, that pensioners have been enjoying since the beginning of this year is meagre and it will do little to reduce the number of older people who are at risk of falling into poverty. That's according to Active Retirement Ireland. Its CEO, who's Maureen Kavna, is on the line. Good morning to you, Maureen, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. That's a, a strong yeah, statement that you've issued uh, about what some people would consider to be uh, a fairly hefty increase on a weekly basis. €12 isn't to be sneezed at, is it? Well, I suppose it depends on uh, where you're coming from. So for many, many older people, €12 just felt like it just isn't enough given how difficult life is, inflation costs, fuel costs, even with the additional supports that have been given by the government, which have been widely, widely welcomed. Mm. However, the issue is is that the government itself promised that the state pension would be benchmarked at 34% of the average industrial wage. That would put the state pension at €318 a week, whereas even Mm. with the €12 increase, it is uh, it's short of that. It is two hundred and seventy-seven euros thirty. Mm. That's if you're at the max, if you're receiving the maximum state pension. So what we are saying is that we want the government to actually just fulfil its promise to older people that the state pension be benchmarked at thirty-four percent of average earnings and give older people greater income security and dignity to live out the third stage of their lives. Okay. Um, that's a, a lot of money, €277. Euro. Do, do people really need much more than that? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, I'm coming close to pension aid myself now, and I'm getting quite nervous be, uh, looking at how I'm going to have some sort of a decent life, not just not just exist on 277 euros a week. It's not a lot. It's In this day and age, it is not a lot of money when you're trying to pay your groceries, you're pr- trying to maintain your heat, you're trying to possibly, in rural areas, run a car mm. with that when public transport, you know, even with the improvements. Yeah. If you're trying to pay rent out of that, which a lot of older people know, it is not a lot of money. Mm. But equally, I suppose we have to remember that the government itself in its pension reform and in its road map on social inclusion actually said that the state pension should be benchmarked at 34% of the average wage so that people, as we get older, we're not living in poverty. And we are the only country in the Eurozone that doesn't have this. Okay, but 
do people not make provision for retirement? Uh, do people not, generally speaking, retire owning their own house, have savings and a private pension as well as the state pension? Uh, Michael, I think that is, that's definitely what the government is aiming for. I mean, certainly, possibly the bit about owning your own house, certainly the generations we're looking at would have been in that market. But a lot of people are either separated or they're, um, you know, just didn't have the opportunity to uh, own their own house um, and availed of other support systems throughout their years. And then on the other side of it is that, um, you know, we can't assume that people have savings. The people that we surveyed in October 2023 across our organisation were in the 70 to 80 background, uh, you know, age Mm. group. And they are the ones that are saying that they're finding life really, really difficult now to manage on a state pension. But when they were contributing to that state pension in their working lives, that was their pension. That was the system that was in place for them to have a pension into their old age. Mm. Yeah, but they were paying for other people's pensions, or at least that's the way people do perceive it, don't they? Uh, and uh, uh, Oh, it, it is the system, Michael, that we have, mm. that when, our, when older people who are in receipt of the contributory state pension were working, they were paying for the pension system of the country. Mm. Now it's their turn. But are, are they not far better? Are they not far better looked all after now by the state than uh, pensioners uh, from years gone by, back to when they were contributing to the social welfare fund? Not really. No, no, no. In fact, in fact, what a lot of older people are saying is that they feel worse off now than they did ten years ago. Mm. Okay. And the survey, and they found that it's really, really difficult mm. to manage um, and people were saying that the you know the 12 years will go some way towards mm. groceries and paying essentials but what we're saying to the government is please consider your promise that the pension should be at 34% of the average wage. Mm. And, and you surveyed people uh, as you say you asked them uh, would they have preferred 40 than 12 uh, not too surprisingly, they said they'd prefer 40, but uh, gave good reasons, I think, Maureen. Oh, absolutely. People were saying what they could do if they actually had that extra 40 euros. And little things were just having a life. So not existing, but actually means that they could sleep at night, one member said from County Meath. Another member said that they would be able to use the money to help with in their garden so that they don't have to climb up ladders at 70 odd years of age. So people are very clear, about what, like they're very clear about what they spend their money on. And they're just saying that the additional funding, if the pension was benchmarked, would just make life more bearable. And some people might even get out and do social activities and be less lonely, thus saving the government mm. money in the long road. and. We all know, Michael, that for many, many older people, if they have extra money, they'll spend it locally. Yeah, and perhaps they will have extra money under government proposals um, if uh, they retire later, if uh, they defer their retirement age to 70 or 71, as the case may be. Is that a, a proposal that you would support if people are finding it hard to struggle on what they get now retiring? Should they retire later? Look at, Michael, we've always advocated that it has to be people's choice. 
most definitely. But we do also recognise from research that there are careers, there are work that people cannot continue to work into when they're into their 70s. Mm. So that type of extension of the working um, time needs to be taken in consideration with the type of career that you're in. And people have very, very clearly said in caring professions, in the building work, in hard labour work, that they are not able to continue. Mm. So it all of this needs to be taken into account when the pension system of Ireland is being reviewed and reform is being put in place. Mm. It has to be about choice. Yeah. And is that fair in your mind that some people, because they have a desk job, could end up with a pension that is maybe 40 or 50 percent uh, higher in value than that of a manual worker? Well, what we would like to see is the pension benchmark to 34 percent. And that would bring equality and, and uh, parity of esteem across the system. But and there wouldn't be these incremental... There wouldn't be these incremental increases then for people who decide to defer their pension, their, their retirement age. What you would have is that you would just be extending out the, the years. Mm. It's, it's, like, it's like when you're in a PRSA pension scheme. You can decide whether you want to withdraw um, the bulk of that down in the early years or else you want to spread it out across your whole working life. Mm. Still the same amount of money. Yeah. And, well, the question is how long do you live for, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. And how long do you need um, more income than others from? But what we're talking about here is the state pension being benchmarked to put us in line with the other countries across the Eurozone and to recognise that older people, as they retire and get, um, uh, you know, just need mm. to have an income that they can live on, mm. not uh- just exist. Yeah, but well, is it really that bad for people uh, when you take into account all of the benefits then that come alongside the bench and the bus pass, for example, is worth a fortune. The medical card is worth a fortune. The uh, yes. the, the 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 home allowance uh, is worth a fortune. Absolutely, and believe me, all of these the household benefits package, mm. the electricity schemes, they are all so welcome in that they help. They help. When there's nothing else coming into your home, only your state pension, they help with that. And there isn't a doubt about that. And this is, these are great social support schemes in place that are in place not just for older people, mm. but they are for other people as well. So look at what we are saying, though. We need to be very clear on our message is that state pension is the only income available for the majority of older people who have contributed into that scheme in their working lives. And it was promised to be set at 34% of the average industrial wage. And it is short of that. Mm. And that's what we're asking the government to fulfil their promise. And Michael, that stops then the pension being a political football at budget um, annual budget time mm-hmm. where older people are wondering, God, will I get a five or will I get a ten or what will I get? Yeah, Betty wants more as well. Uh, she wants the fuel allowance uh, to be made uh, available to everybody that everybody should uh, qualify. She says she does. She gets the full pension, uh, but uh, 
she was short some stamps uh, and as a result I think that's why she doesn't get the fuel allowance she says if they give a bus pass and a, a TV licence why aren't we automatically given the fuel uh, allowance it's a big rigmarole what do you think of that uh, Maureen? Yeah it is look it is the, f- the fuel allowance is um, is, a, is a means tested um, you know support social support uh, what I would say to Betty is go down to her citizen information, get out more information, find out what it is and how much she's short and find out why. Okay. No prospect of a €40 Euro increase, though, on the pension. I'm sure you'll accept that. Uh, we are going to be campaigning for the government to fulfil its promise to benchmark the state pension so that we can come in line with the rest of the countries across Europe. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Thank you. That's Maureen Cavda, who's uh, the CEO of Active Retirement Ireland. Let me remind you, if you want to make comment, our phone number is 0419832000. You can also text or WhatsApp a comment to us on 0861800658. That's 0861800658. Or email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, another text uh, comes uh, to us uh, from a, a listener who says, my recollection of uh, taking in or providing refugees with the accommodation uh, that the administration of uh, this was uh, to be done by the Red Cross and they were funded to do it. Uh, why is the problem or why is there such a problem at this stage? And our caller says Patrick Tobin spends time blaming the government and seems to have the solution for everything. A one-man band. Don't read out my name, please, says our caller. Well, thank you for your message. Just to remind you, our telephone number is 041 983 2000 text or WhatsApp 086 one 658 email michael at lmfm.ie Now there is a status yellow wind warning in place for six counties Clare, Donegal, Galway, Leitrim, Mayo and Sligo and that will already make a very difficult task of restoring power to 235 thousand customers all the more difficult. Many people locally without power this morning. Let's hear the latest now. Siobhan Wynne is Regional Manager for the Central Region at ESB Networks and on the line. Uh, a very good morning to you Siobhan and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Difficult conditions uh, for your crews uh, to be carrying out the uh, work that needs to be done to restore power. What can you tell us at this stage? Yeah, so well, at the moment, we've uh, just over 190,000 customers currently without power. Um, the northwest and the west have been the worst affected, particularly Donegal, Sligo, Roscommon and Galway um, and parts of South Kerry. But like as everybody realises, I suppose all parts of the country have been impacted uh, with Stormy Shaft. Okay. Uh, uh, what, what can you tell us about the situation here in counties Louth and Meath? So now the mead, like like all areas, they've been impacted also. So we have uh, outages there in um, in Dundalk, Drogheda, Stikillen, um, all across the region. Really, um, nobody has escaped in terms of the impact of this storm. Uh, we do have crews out on site, though. Uh, they've been out since first light. Uh, they're out there assessing the damage on the ground and making safe any emergency situations. So. I suppose it's worth mentioning at this point that if people are out and about at this stage, if you are coming across 
conductors are lying or equipment on the ground, the message is really to stay clear. And if you can alert us, so log it on our partcheck.ie website or alternatively, if it's a safety or emergency issue, please ring us on our emergency line of 1-800-372-999. But to keep well clear yourself. Yes, absolutely. So even mm. if you're, you're not sure whether it's an electricity line or a, a telecom line, it's always best to be safe. So stay well clear and we'll know if you can report it to us, then we'll be able to address it. Uh, and for that reason, I think you're advising people to keep well away from fallen trees, uh, not to try to clear roads themselves, because there is the possibility, at least, uh, that there's electric wires uh, tied up in those trees. Yes, absolutely. And and even in relation, I suppose, to the current weather warning, you know, there is still still quite windy out there. So more damage could be incurred over the course of the day. So absolutely stay well clear and notify us if you think there's um, electricity lines involved or obviously your local council in terms of clearing trees from uh, roads. OK, uh, we're hearing that it could take some time before power is restored for people. Yeah, so as I said, we, we have everybody deployed. All of our network technicians are out there working out on the ground from first thing this morning. We've also drafted in additional resources from our contracting uh, teams. So they're now being deployed to the worst affected areas. But realistically, uh, with 230,000 people affected last night, it is a significant storm event. So we are looking at a multi-day event. Uh, we will be aiming to get as many people back this evening, but there will be customers without power into tomorrow and possibly after that also. Okay, uh, and uh, are special is special attention being given um, where people are reliant on electricity for medical equipment or is it trying to tackle everything at the one time and uh, it's kind of uh, potluck in terms of what is restored first? No, we do try and prioritise our vulnerable customers and also like key utilities, so, you know, hospitals or water utilities, telecom infrastructure, they're, you know, they'll all be prioritised as much as possible in the restoration efforts. Okay, but working uh, on it uh, as quickly as possible in both Louth and Meath uh, this morning uh, and I'm sure you'd just ask people to be patient in the meantime because I, I imagine at this stage you're aware of all the outages. Um, we we are, but like again, I just I wouldn't assume if you if you come across a, a line down, I wouldn't assume that we know about it. So it's always best to notify us, um, and we'll get the best picture then. So yeah, we are doing. We appreciate people's patience at this time, but as I say, we are out on the ground now, doing everything we can to restore power as quickly as possible and safely. Okay, well, I'm sure it's uh, quite a, a number of people uh, who hope that's a, a successful operation uh, in terms of uh, the time. Uh, but thank you, Siobhan, for joining us uh, this morning. Siobhan Wynn, Regional Manager for the Central Region at ESB Networks. Uh, somebody saying no mention of me, the ESB. Well, hopefully uh, you've heard there that uh, they're working on it, as is uh, the case across uh, the country. Uh, as quickly as possible, power will be restored. Uh, somebody else in touch uh, warning you if you're on the roads today that the road is blocked both ends of Cullenstown, Darver, Ready Penny two trees down there 
uh, it appears. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for sharing that with us. Uh, we, uh, Deirdre in Kells, uh, very concerned uh, about uh, the amount of storms, I think, uh, that we're getting, very dangerous winds uh, and hates the weather. Who doesn't, Deirdre? I think we all dread it when we hear that another storm has been given a name and what that will mean for us. Uh, but thanks, as always, for your message to the programme. Now, uh, we'll uh, go back uh, to the doll once again and hear some uh, of uh, the contributions that uh, we had meant to bring you on Friday's programme, but other events overtook that. Uh, there was a, a lot of attention on the debate on immigration and indeed the attacks on accommodation centres and how uh, people are uh, reacting to all of this. Indeed, how some politicians in Leinster House, TDs and senators have been making statements that have been very questionable about immigrants and uh, the charge is that they're fuelling up anti-immigrant sentiment. Uh, Let's hear a little bit of what Breed Smith had to say about this. Because of those Nazi supporters lies in this chamber and those echoes which come from rural independence and others across this house which blame refugees for the problems that we have actually do make a difference to how people think. And when people find that that is going on and is echoed by ministers and started by deputies and others in this house and now councillors from Mayo right down to Kerry now they're talking about we're not dealing with you. We're not going to talk to you about refugees. And they're in your parties. Rein them in. Do not allow this happen. Rein in your councillors and do not allow them to pass motions that refuse to deal with the department on the question of refugees. But the sooner the better you get out of government. Because until you do, and unless you do, we're going to have the complication of people blaming refugees instead of blaming you. But I do want to put it up to other deputies, like Michael Larry, and I'm going to say it to him, who boasts regularly about what he's achieved for North Tipperary. Why do you continually vote confidence in the government, vote against, uh, vote against a ban on evictions? By, by doing that, you're supporting them who are implementing the policies where migrants and asylum seekers are being scapegoated. And I just want to say this, that it might sound like a bit of a leap, but every time you refuse to deal with the housing crisis, with the lack of public services, you add fuel to the fire. And I don't care how many nice liberal Fianna Gaelers get on the Tonight Show and sound tough and hard on it. The reality is, it is your policies that are implementing the scapegoating of migrants. And instead of deputies talking about uh, we're, we're suffering from an invasion, the invasion we're suffering from is when Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael opened up this country to vulture funds, to real estate investment funds who are buying up housing estates still, 85% of them, and depriving ordinary teachers, nurses, doctors, people who provide services of the ability to uh, to set up roots in this country. All of that feeds into this migrant crisis. And until we get rid of those policies, i.e. you, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and your, 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 your mud guards in the Greens, we're not going to make the difference. Deputy, 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 just just before we proceed, Deputy, can I say I'm I'm all in favour of very robust debate here, but it is not fair by any stretch of the imagination to equate any member of this House in any way with Nazism. Not in any way, not by any stretch of the imagination. 
and you diminish the appalling nature of what Nazism is to do so. I'll Mr. have that debate with you again in Cairn Court, Excuse but I stand me. over my right to say you, you that can, they, echo, you, they echo the sympathies of Nazis. Say, you can say what you like. Yeah, I can. I'm simply pointing out the facts. Yeah. They're not the facts. There you go. The debate on immigration continues to be divisive. Uh, we had hoped to bring that uh, clip to you last week, uh, but we were overrun by other issues. Uh, but that was Breed Smith. Uh, and we also heard from Count Corla, Sean O'Freal, Breed Smith, uh, People Before Profit TD. Uh, and on that note, thanks uh, to John, who's been in touch, who says that I don't seem willing to consider the fact that some people have genuine concerns about asylum seekers moving into their area and I seem to think uh, that it's all motivated by racism and this is simply not the case. He says he has friends down the country who took part in some protests because they have concerns about the lack of facilities in uh, their local area to accommodate the people who are already living there, let alone uh, people moving into the area and they feel that if the population grows further, the pressure on local services will grow even further making life difficult for all of uh, the residents of the area, new and old. Thanks very much uh, John for uh, taking the time to ring us and uh, for your comment uh, for that matter. I do recognise that people have concerns uh, but every action has uh, a, a, an impact and uh, there's a consequence for every action and if you stop people and this is I suppose the point that I've been trying to make on the programme if you stop people uh, being housed in County Mayo which is what the councillors want at the moment uh, well then there's nowhere for them to go but the streets of Dublin uh, and that vote very noticeably taken and notably taken when we were in sub-zero temperatures overnight last week and the idea of going out for a walk uh, at night was just terrifying because it was so cold never mind the idea of getting into a tent on the street uh, and bedding down in however many sleeping bags you have and hoping that nobody pulls down the zip and comes in and robs you, beats you up or whatever the case may be or burns your tent down. Uh, how are we doing that to people? How are we saying, um, we have this uh, lovely hotel here but we're uh, too concerned about the impact on local services uh, to let you stay in it. You can sleep on the streets. How are we saying that we have this lovely hotel here uh, but we're too concerned about letting you move into it uh, because we'll have to wait longer to see a GP. How are we, uh, as a, a people, uh, because anybody who does this is doing it in my name uh, and they're doing it in your name, how are we saying to people, there's a lovely hotel there, but we don't want you to move into it because that's going to cause problems uh, when people are looking to see a doctor or whatever the case is uh, that people have concerns about. I know that there's genuine concerns. I know that there's a housing crisis. I know that there's concerns or that there's a shortage of GPs uh, and that uh, it's very difficult to, to see a dentist. I know that the schools are overcrowded. But why is it that we're saying to people, um, we're, we're um, too burdened down already to give you the time of day? Off you go, sleep on the streets, good luck to you. Um, I'm going home to my comfortable house, my comfortable bed, and I will sleep 
soundly tonight with a clear conscience. How is it that we as a nation are doing that? That we, the Irish who have been around the world and back again, who have sought the kindness of strangers in every corner of the world, how is it that we Irish are, are now saying to people, we don't want you. You are not welcome here. Ireland is full or whatever town it is is full or whatever hotel it is is full. We don't want you is the message. It's loud and clear and it's sending people off as our enemy. Somebody who has to look on us uh, as a, a, a nation that has said no to them, that has denied them the right that they have to getting protection here. They are entitled, and you can't forget this, uh, you may think you're entitled to stop people from moving into your locality or your local hotel or whatever it is, but you are not entitled. There is no entitlement of that sort, but the people that you're preventing from moving in are entitled to international protection under many conventions, uh, the Refugee Convention, um, uh, the uh, Convention after the Second World War, um, uh, puts it very clear onus on us. And then there's European uh, agreements uh, also that put that onus on us. So they are, have an entitlement that you're denying them. Uh, and you're not entitled to act that way. And that is, I suppose, why I do make those arguments on the programme, John. I'm sorry that my answer was so long when you did ask. Uh, and I hope that explains it. But thank you for asking and thank you for your comment. Uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from anybody else on this matter. Our phone number 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 86 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Jerry and Wilkinstown texting us actually. Jerry says anyone who doesn't want migrants or refugees in their area are nothing less than racists. And if uh, they think otherwise, Jerry says they're fools. Uh, Margaret in touch with us uh, about all of uh, the power outages. How many power outages would there be if the power lines were underground, she asks. These storms will always bring down power lines, so undergrounding them is uh, the only only way to stop it from happening, says Margaret. Uh, and I think uh, we all know what your point is uh, there. Uh, I'm sure people in Airgrid will be listening to that very closely. Margaret, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. Anna in touch with us uh, as well this morning. Anna wants to know why did the government not invest money into areas before they moved new citizens into them. Surely that would make sense or more sense than the approach that they're taking. She says this country does not have a good track record on retro provision of services so it's no wonder some local residents are expressing concerns. Thank you indeed uh, for your call as well. And I'll come back to some more of those comments in a moment. But we heard Breed Smith a, a moment ago criticising uh, the government parties particularly Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael for their record on immigration and we also heard her talk about a number of local TDs in Tipperary. We'll be hearing from one of those, Michael Larry, a response from Fine Gael but uh, let's hear a little bit more from Breed Smith first. I, I'm actually standing here to say that the far right are liars, that they're Nazi sympathisers, that they spread bile and lies about, first of all, single men, and then it extends to all refugees, the women and children who were terrified uh, on those videos we saw the other day. So it's the far right that are spreading the lies, but they are Nazi sympathisers, and they do see racism as a tool to deflect against what's going on in society. But unfortunately, it's deflecting against your government and the problems that you have created. They say Ireland is full. Well, I'll tell you what Ireland is full of. 
empty homes, 165,000 of them, and you've never dealt with that. And those empty homes are lying empty for a long, long time under successive governments of Fianna Fáil, backed up Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, sometimes backed up by other parties that go into coalition with them. It is your policies that are creating the problem. If it's not, then what you're saying to me is that ordinary people up and down this country who get sucked into that stuff are all baddies. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they're getting sucked in instead of deflecting it onto you the likes of Michael Larry and Matty McGrath, they really cared about the people in North Tipperary would be organising protests against the policies of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. They would not you, be voting against uh, motions of no confidence. They would be voting to keep the eviction ban up. And they would be, therefore, providing up, services please. that would keep our nurses, doctors, please, vets... Deputy. Uh, dentists, all of these young people we educate in the country and deal with the lack of services in Roscray and elsewhere. People before Prophets Braid Smith, it was left uh, to Minister Heather Humphreys to provide a response. But the rise of uh, the far right ideology and anti immigration sentiment in Ireland is worrying. And it's something that we have seen in other countries for many years, but it, it hasn't been an issue here. But that has unfortunately changed. But when you look ahead to 2024, the world is becoming, it's becoming a very scary place. And you look at what's going on in Gaza, you look at Putin's war in Ukraine, and you're going to have an election in America, which looks like uh, it's going to be divisive in itself. Fanning the flames on all of this propaganda, misinformation and outright lies being spread on social media. And as a government, I accept that we do need to communicate better. I do accept that. But Deputy, you know, as well as I do, that cutting through the lies on social media is not easy. And, but there's an onus on every single one of us in this House to show leadership. Uh, and can I just say that, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there about immigration. And as a government, uh, as I said earlier, we do need to communicate better. But it's, it's incumbent on each and every one of us to do that as well. That's Heather Humphreys, Minister for Social Protection. Actually, she mentioned uh, the election in the United States. I was listening to Donald Trump's latest uh, campaign speech. He seems set to become the Republican candidate, but he was talking about one of the best, strongest European leaders, somebody that he regards very highly in his speech yesterday, and that is Hungary's Viktor Orban. God help us, I suppose you could say. Now, let's uh, hear uh, something uh, from that Tipperary TD who we've heard mentioned a couple of times so far, Michael Larry. I am not a racist. I am not anti-immigrant. And I have no record of provocative language either in this house or outside of the house. And can I also say to Deputy Spitz, who uh, happened to mention me on three occasions in her speech, that uh, unlike her... I stand for something. In her position, she's against everything and for nothing. I'm in this house for 37 years because I've managed to support governments that have delivered for my constituency. That's my responsibility and obligation, and I have done that. Michael Larry. Now, Jimmy, on the phone to us, he thinks uh, that anyone who's found to have had any hand, act or part, 
in the attacks on asylum accommodation should have the book thrown at them. As they say, it's a disgusting act to commit against another human being. But these poor people have come here from shocking and frightening situations and they do not deserve to be treated like this. Martin has been on the phone to us. He uh, wanted to say that he agrees uh, that the increase in the pension is going to do little to ease the burden on older people when it comes to the cost of living. People are really struggling to keep the wolf away from the door and the government cannot seem to comprehend this. How could they understand it when they have such high wages themselves? They are so far removed from the harsh realities of life. It's no wonder, Martin says, that they cannot uh, understand what real issues people are having to deal with. Anne, thank you for your call as well. Anne agrees that the pension increase is not enough. It'll make no real difference to old people. They'll still have to count the cents in order to make ends meet. Lisa, in touch about accommodation for immigrants, saying that the spate of recent arson attacks on asylum accommodation has been very upsetting and frightening to witness. What is this country turning into that we cannot welcome frightened and needy people into the country in their time of need. Thank you, Lisa. That's all we have time for today. That has to be the final word on our programme because our time has run out on us once again. Maggie Maguire Research today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.